0: Welcome to the Leadership on Demand podcast presented by the Kraus Center for Leadership and Ethics at the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina located in historic downtown Charleston. I'm Colonel Tom Clark, Executive Director of the Krauss Center, and we are proud to share an inside look at the training, thinking, and experiences of principal leaders. Since 1842, the Citadel has produced principal leaders in all walks of life, and we look forward to sharing some of what makes the Citadel a strong and unique institution with you today
1: this week's episode of Leadership on Demand, we will take a behind-the-scenes look at principal leadership training with special guest Dr. Brian Jones. Dr. Jones is the Dean of the School of Humanities and Social Sciences here at the Citadel, and he'll be sharing some of his experience around faculty excellence, the size of our school, keeping cadets awake in class, and some very exciting developments in cybersecurity and intelligence here at the Citadel. I'm today's host, Lieutenant Colonel Ted Feening from the Cross Center for Leadership and Ethics at the Citadel. Thank you for joining today's Leadership on Demand podcast. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Leadership on Demand podcast. Very excited today to have with us Dr. Brian Jones, the Dean of the Department of School of Humanities and Social Sciences here at the Citadel. Dr. Jones, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Now, that's a a mouthful, you know, humanities and social sciences. Just uh, let's dive in and, and tell the folks who are listening what it is that that actually covers.
0: Yeah, so the traditional humanities um, are, are those disciplines, English, history, and modern languages in particular that have been at the Citadel actually for, for over a hundred years when the Citadel began, we had those disciplines. So English, history, modern languages, which includes Spanish, French, and German, those are the traditional core humanities at the Citadel. And then the social science uh, courses include political science and criminal justice, psychology, and then to some degree, intelligence and security studies, which is really kind of a multidisciplinary degree, which has elements of both uh, humanities, uh, discipline practices and social scientific inquiry. So
1: right. That's a that's a hot topic here at the Citadel, the, uh, the Intel and cybersecurity piece. So we'll get into that a little bit. You know, how long have you been here as the dean of the school?
0: This is the beginning of my third year, so Okay, so I started, the pandemic, I started in the exactly. midst of the pandemic uh, yeah. in July of 2020, right, as uh, we were moving into our modified high-flex teaching model, um, so I was a new man on board in July, and uh, when the faculty came that August, we really had to, to spool up quick to get everybody ready to teach in that model so we could continue the, the on-ground um, uh, benefit that we offer our students and, sure. pets and uh, so that was a real challenge in 2020.
1: Well, excluding the pandemic, which is which was its own animal, uh, what what surprised you when you came to the Citadel uh, to, to, as an academic?
0: I think the most surprising aspect of the Citadel, from the outside looking in, is the the extraordinary capacity and excellence of the faculty. Um, you know, you're aware of the military model, you're sort of familiar with the notion of how the students operate. In this case, cadets operate within the context of the military system. You're You're aware of the formations and the parades and the uniforms and the marching to the games. and So those are the kinds of things from the outside looking in, you know about. And I don't think I anticipated just how extraordinary the faculty was. Uh, They're they're extremely um, uh, sophisticated and uh, advanced in their disciplines. Just a really great group of scholars across the board in all disciplines who were doing extraordinary work and teaching a great deal at the same time.
1: Uh, Approximately how many uh, professors and staff do you have in your department? There's
0: about uh, a little over 70. The number, of course, changes every single year. The number I use is is 70 plus. 72, 73 full-time tenure-track faculty in the school. There's five full-time staff members as well. Okay. Uh, Those include um, uh, Jessica Galvin, who is program coordinator for the school, as well as uh, her team of four uh, administrative support persons who serve the entire school.
1: Is there anything in your estimation that prevents the Citadel from being... uh, the revered institution that people, it's got a, it's got a storied reputation here locally, regionally, and maybe even across the United States, but is there anything that keeps it from, from reaching its full potential that you can see right off, right off the bat?
0: I mean, I think the only thing that, that sort of limits the Citadel's greatness in the way that you described is its size, Hmm. right? Is, you know, because of the size of the barracks, because of the size of the core, this institution can only get so big. And I think that changes the dynamic for how you operate in big colleges have a lot of bandwidth to operate a lot of different activities. You've got a lot of faculty in areas who can cover a certain amount of um, activities. We're just not that big. And so in in many ways, not being big is a a great thing. And I think here at the Citadel, I think it's a a wonderful thing because it really does allow faculty and students to work very closely together. We have mentorship arrangements and internship opportunities, and we have a lot of alumni engagement. All of that makes it possible to have an enriching student experience. Mm But the way that you described in terms of I mean, big, huge footprint and impact, that, that only comes with scale. Right. Um, so the more folks you have, the more things you can do, and the less you stress out and tax your, your faculty and your staff. Um, so you know, there's there's drawbacks to being this size, but right. I think in our particular model, uh, the size is a great advantage for us. I think the faculty love it. They enjoy working one-on-one with cadets and students, and I think that, that helps attract them here, and that makes their teaching very meaningful and really does uh, enrich their, their uh their lives as professionals.
1: That's interesting to think of size as both a limitation and a strength. Um, I know a lot of cadets build very strong relationships with professors here. Um, What are are some of the challenges you see? I know every cadet is different and every situation is different, but are there any any sort of core wide challenges you see for academic success?
0: You know, obviously the the time frame, uh, the timing that the cadets have, they're extremely busy. Right. This this is a lot lot of white space in their schedule. I think that's a that's one of the critical issues. Obviously, we want all of our cadets to be engaged in class. We want them to be reading in class. We want them to be, you know, focused on in-class activities. And if you're a knob in particular, that's that's a challenge because it's it's an exhausting system, right. especially in the first year. Um, and you know, you have you've got time for everything, but you don't have huge amounts of time for every single thing. So I think I think that is a real challenge going forward. Mm-hmm. I know the Commandant's team is looking at figuring out how to create some white space for right. some of the for, for the cadets. And, and I know that that would mean a lot to the provost and her team as well. It's something that we believe helps enrich their learning experience. Um, this is an academic institution. After all, that's our primary mission is to build principal leaders. And um, so more white space, more you know, opportunity to, to really to study or even to rest and to regain strength is, is something that cannot be underestimated. Uh, i think that would be a critical priority going forward for everybody here and, and it's increasingly more relevant as you know students especially in their high school areas increasingly get busy there right right mean that the that time is extremely uh, condensed as well there's their secondary they've got activities they've got schoolwork. they've got jobs they've got family obligations and then they come here and it, it redoubles again so that's something we want to take uh, close care to make sure we are taking care of our students from a kind of a mental standpoint an emotional standpoint you know, still working on the rigor and making sure they're disciplined and following the model. Sure. But, you know, there's a lot to accomplish at the Citadel. There's a, a lot of opportunities to take advantage of, so we have to find a way to make it possible to do all
1: that. That's right. It's very interesting when uh, the, the folks who are in positions uh, that are mentoring or designed to push and stress and stretch uh, a young person, when, when you hear this sort of, and you hear it from a lot of faculty, staff, commandant's office, when you hear, gosh, you know, also, coming from a place of rest is a place of strength. Uh, you can, you know, and the folks who are supposed to be pushing you are saying, "We actually need these cadets to rest more." That may be a, a, an epidemic problem in our college. And I, you know, I, I teach a few courses, and it's sometimes tough to, to keep focus and attention. These kids, are, these cadets, are so tired. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And
0: you, if you ask the faculty who've been here a good long time, they'll tell you the same thing. It's, it's sort of always been this way. It's always a regular challenge. And, and those with tremendous amounts of experience have adapted unique ways to help keep. Uh, cadets awake. Right. right. <laughs> class, You know, if it's a particularly bad day, you know, uh, I have a faculty member who I was chatting with in the in the parking lot, walking to class, and he said, uh, I told him about my experience with the knobs that I teach in Leaders 101, and he said, Yeah, when my knobs I, and I tell him, hey, just stand up, stand up in class. Sure. Uh, don't sit down. You're fine. You don't don't sit down. Don't put your head on the table. Stand up. Walk around. Whatever you need to do. Uh, as long as you're paying attention to me and you're not asleep. So. You do all that uh, that works out just well and that's that's an element i think you won't often see at other campuses mm-hmm. where the notion of having a student stand up in class and wander around the space in order mm-hmm. to stay awake is not going to be allowed sure <laughs> here it's it's part of the uh, regular order to adapt and we evolve and, and persist
1: well the citadel's produced uh some extraordinary military leaders but it's also extra- produced some extraordinary leaders in the humanities here locally you know, great representatives of the low country uh, folks like Pat Conroy, political elected leaders, folks who've come through for, through your department. Um, what are some of the exciting things that you see, uh, young alumni, right now, or some of the some of the shining uh, spots in, inside your department, both for undergraduates and recent graduates?
0: You mean to, to the list of Pat Conroy, I would add Joe Riley. Oh, of course. Add, I would add Frank McKenzie. Joe yes. McKenzie as well as an English major. Wow, that's amazing! I didn't know that. So, you know, the humanities and the social sciences, we argue in our area that, that that is the path to principal leadership. It's, it's the opportunity to understand the broad human experience in all of its uniqueness and complexity. So, we really think that, that studying English or studying history or studying languages, for that matter, any of the other disciplines in the social sciences. Or a proper path to leadership it gives you an opportunity to understand people and above all else if you're a leader you're dealing with people sure and they don't all act like you or think like you and uh, they don't all have the same beliefs and, and value systems that you may have so how do you work with people how do you um, convince them to to do the task or accomplish the mission uh, and that comes from a, an innate caring about people and understanding of them and a value that you attach to their their existence and their liberty so we think that that In our disciplines, we help students understand that, Uh, and there are young alumni out there who are following all kinds of careers, and that's the one thing I can say about our disciplines is that I can not identify for you one simple path um, for any one of these professionals. You know, it's maybe it's easier in some of the other disciplines where, um, you know, obviously the undergraduate degree in in this particular field leads to a job in that same field. That's not the case in our area. We have, you know, psychologists who will choose to go to law school, and then we have Um, uh, history majors will go into entrepreneurship, right? So there's just a lot of different pathways, and ultimately we're teaching a skill set, critical thinking, communication, problem solving, working as a team, and those are the kinds of skills we think which are transferable across all disciplines. So every student that comes to the door, I tell them, you know, find your passion at the Citadel, find what interests you most. If that's history, follow that path because this place is so special and the alumni network is so robust and the career center is so active and the provost and her team focus so much on on making you an excellent student, you are going to find your path. And I want you to get there through what interests you because that's the area that you'll be most focused, most engaged, most ready to learn. Uh, If you choose a major because you think that that's the right major for you because someone else said it was a good idea or or the local newspaper suggested this was the best place to get a job, and you hate it. And you don't enjoy it, and there's nothing about it that, that, that enriches you or excites you then find another direction. Do you, do you
1: see that? Do you see parents who push cadets? Do you see a, there any trends in terms of what cadets do sometimes that uh, that just doesn't really suit them, but they feel it's something they should be doing because of a macro trend? It's hard to say.
0: Cause my, the, the way I gather that evidence is by asking students, I mean, tell me about your interest, tell right, me what right. you're passionate about. And when you come in as a 17 or 18 year old, sometimes that's the absolute worst time to be able to make a decision about what comes for the next 15 years. Sure. It's a hard time <laughs> to make a call. So I try to emphasize that. You know, Parents have a legitimate interest in this, obviously. Parents, in many cases, are helping pay the bill. They want the success for their students. They want their, their, their young people to, to succeed and get off and get jobs. And all of that makes perfect sense. And what I argue is that just because you don't see an obvious path from an English major to prosperity, doesn't mean that there isn't one. There is. There's lots of them. And so the trick is to figure out how to get a student from A to B. Um, It's not as easy, right? And I'll I'll tell you, sometimes it's it's, um, working uphill and really sort of pushing against the tide to help people understand what we do and why we do it. But, you know, parents believe, and rightly so, that they want their kids to go off and get jobs. And uh, for that matter, uh, you know, the students want to do the same thing. I haven't encountered one who said, you know, I'm, I'm in a major and I hate it, but I'm staying because my parents say it. I no, haven't, haven't run into that good. just yet, um, but they will come and they'll say, well, I'm, I'm in this major and I, I sort of enjoy it, but they'll want to want to switch because they think maybe their friends are all in, engaged in another major program sure. or they see that as a more obvious pathway. Um, so it's really about having this early conversation with students mm-hmm. and getting to their their real interest and their real passions, at least from my standpoint. That's well,
1: how it, I, our, we landed in our RW programs. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. I think that uh, what you're saying really echoes what we hear coming out of the commandant's department. You know, we, we've we've transitioned from a model some, some of the older alumni might be familiar with, which was like, you grind you grind knobs into the dust, and as a, as a rite of passage and survival, you wear the ring. It's just something that's more mentoring, something that more matches what we're doing inside the DoD uh, in terms of mentor leadership. And uh, it sounds like that's exactly what's happening inside your department, which is kind of exciting. To, I, I, I haven't been here that long myself. I've only been here five years. But to, to feel that alignment happening, I think there used to be a lot, quite a bit of friction between the military and academic sides of the college. And to yeah. think, to hear them uh, having sort of a similar intent about how we develop principal leaders, I think is very exciting.
0: Yeah, I mean, all of it really is about agency and giving a student the opportunity to choose, um, to, to allow them to find their p- proper path. As opposed to having a path defined for them, right? They're they're they followers, but they're also going to be leaders. So we have to turn, we have to learn, uh, we have to help them learn to make those kinds of decisions on their own. But you know, again, an 18-year-old is not always equipped to make a good call like sure. that. And it's not that students make poor decisions. It's about helping them understand what options exist for them. You know, coming out of high school, you probably don't hear a lot about, you know, maybe you should pursue an English major, and you maybe you should go history. Um, or maybe you should try Intel, although that one is actually so popular now, it seems like everyone's telling them to do that. Right,
1: right, we should actually, Um, we'll talk about that in a minute.
0: Yeah, so um, so those are things when they get to, to college, they don't Necessarily see all the options open to them. We want to make sure they get a chance
1: to do just that sure, sure. see the options It was a, it's a brave new world We were just talking about the uh, the destruction of Capers Hall and how just the day prior to, to Sending in the wrecking crews they let uh, folks like me and other staff members go through and and see what was in there and You could take any everything of value had been taken and there were old uh, uh, Slide projectors and overhead projectors that, that I sent pictures to cadets I know and they didn't they had no idea what that object was what a tape recorder was um, and, and so you know, that, that just goes into uh, this, this cyber and intel conversation. Things are changing so rapidly, and uh, it does feel like there's a buzz on campus about those two areas in particular. Um, and you said it's very popular. I'd love to get your take on, on, on what's, what's cooking inside those departments and how we're developing principal leaders in those areas.
0: Yeah, we had a panel a few weeks ago on the uh, to celebrate the uh, 100 years on the Ashley River site when Mm -hmm. the the college moved from uh, Marion Square up to the Ashley River in 1922. And in that panel, you know, I discussed a bit about the evolution of the humanities and social sciences. And I I explained to folks, you know, 100 years ago, nobody would have ever imagined a psychology degree at the Citadel. Mm. Uh, And equally. bizarre would have been the notion of an intelligence and security studies degree in 1922. So the, the college continues to evolve, our disciplines continue to evolve, and this is a good example of that where we found an opportunity to to build out a degree program uh, with scholars from a couple different areas, which we think serves um, serves the cause of principal leadership and ultimately issues related to, to national security and, and world peace and, and other such things. So. Intel has been um, a very popular major. It's the, one of the fastest-growing majors on campus. It's the largest major on campus now. Um,
1: How many students is that? There,
0: there's about 370 total in So the over 10
1: percent of the Corps of Cadets.
0: Uh, and Now some of those are in our undergraduate So, in the core, I think the number is closer to 330, I think. Still, it's so a very big. large major. Students are coming in, they want to go through three-letter agencies, they want to find jobs at Homeland Security. Sure. Um, I've tried to explain to them that those are good options. There are other options than maybe corporate security, there's all kinds of good things. So, our Intelligence and Security Studies Department stands alone in the School of Humanities and Social Sciences, mm-hmm. and we, we offer uh, graduate and undergraduate degrees and the the faculty down there is fantastic dr valero and his team are just really great scholars of this field and they are right at the edge of the discipline they're really kind of pushing the discipline forward. He, he has
1: really brought some heavy hitters to campus. It is incredible. that You know, I think of the the Citadel as a center of gravity in Charleston and, and, and in the state and in the region. And uh, Dr. Larry Valero is really uh, bringing in some some real uh, credit to the college uh, for those students to interact with.
0: In fact, he was brought in largely because of, of obviously, his, his expertise in the field, but also because of his industry work. So Dr. Valero represents a unique can, uh uh, unique joining of both academic experience and industry experience. Mm-hmm. So those folks that he's been bringing in, he works with very closely and uh, helps them, helps them, help the core and help our program. We just we just hosted the uh, International Association for Intelligence Educators conference on campus last week. The IAFE conference is the major discipline conference. There were people there from all over the world. Wow. And it was a big event, a huge splash. Beautifully, lots of. Where did you do uh, it? We we had it all over the place. Actually, in okay. Boston, it was in the Holiday Alumni Center. It okay. was in the stadium. It was a huge event, and just really went off quite well, and, and really showed us as uh, occupying a, a prominent position in intelligence education. Fantastic. In this country, so, uh, and of course, you add to that the work we do within the context of the uh, the center and the cyber program over in the Swain School of Science and Math with Dr. Bannock and his team. So that cyber degree program exists again as a standalone within that school. But the two degrees, Intel and cyber, work together within the context of the DoD-funded Center for uh, Cyber and Intelligence Security Studies. Sure. So there are a lot of overlap there. Um, a lot of our, our alumni networks uh, are interested in both Intel and cyber. The two have a lot of um, connection with each other. So we, we've tried to um, make sure we're engaging our new audience on those fronts and, and bringing in uh, both. Grants, et cetera, but also programming and finding ways to support students through scholarships.
1: When you say it's DoD funded, you know, I, I, I'm a Marine, so I think of ROTC. You are going to uh, have your college mostly paid for, and you are going to serve as a result, sort of uh, as it's a, 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 a quid pro quo. Are there programs like that for cyber and intel, where you know the, the CIA or or other three-letter agencies are recruiting direct out off the rip, and they'll pay for your undergraduate education, and you pay them back?
0: Yeah, so that is a really good question, and I don't have an answer as the DoD is paying those directly. I can tell you this: that that um, jobs in both Intel and cyber are uh, they're in demand. Right, of course. Um, and so, an opportunity to get a degree pro degree from our institution in one of those fields is going to land you a, a position when you leave. Uh, we have the attention of the DOD and others uh, who have, uh, and, and Dr. Bannock, I wish Dr. Bannock were here, he could say this oh, exactly. Oh, great. Dr. Said. yeah. <laughs> uh, we are a, a center of excellence as recognized by the Department of Defense right. in the cyberspace, and the result is is that they are they support us with dollars for infrastructure and other things to help the program grow. And we continue to produce students, and the expectation is that those students will find their way into into national security fields and help provide uh, cyber support and, and expertise within the American government. So wonderful, a well, lot there's of opportunity there.
1: There's, there's obviously an academic component. To them. I mean, this is a huge academic field, but is there a PRAC app? When you say they provide uh, dollars, are they helping build facilities? Uh, are there things that we need or that we have that are unique? that our students are training with or training on?
0: I mean, the, the, it's, it's obviously it's hardware and software based, right? Okay. So the answer is yes. Those dollars come in to support infrastructure, they come in to support uh, programming and student scholarships and other things like that. Uh, and they, they support Dr. Bannock's opportunities to grow that area, mm-hmm. right? Um, and again, he can speak very directly on this matter uh, right. in terms of the size. but. You know, the, the challenge with cyber at this moment, and I think Dr. Manick would not be, uh, you know, not be afraid to say so, is is finding faculty. I mean, it's, it's very hard to find cyber faculty and, and pay because them. Because it's so competitive. It's, uh, such and, a competitive field. Like, the industry jobs are out there and they pay a huge amount of money, so it's a challenge. But right. uh, fortunately, we've had the benefit of the state of South Carolina has found ways to support that as well. Good. So... all those things are trending in the right direction, and so both cyber and intel continue to grow and continue to have an impact and continue to attract students. And so we're very proud of the relationship that we have. And and also, from my perspective, and I think uh, Dean Zimmerman would agree, it's it's a great opportunity to kind of have some interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary work among our cadets um, and students. We believe, I believe in particular, that every single job that a cadet or student will do out in the workforce is going to be interdisciplinary. They're gonna have to do multiple things. And not only that, they're going to have to learn new skill sets along the way, so right. any opportunity that they get to work across these areas is going to be beneficial to them in the market.
1: Right, Now you mentioned Dean Zimmerman, who's the Dean of uh, the School of Science and Math, yep. and it, I mean, there's got to be overlap there. I guess they've got computer science, but there's, there's there must be a ton of overlap in cyber and intel with, with science and math. There
0: is, in fact, you know, we teach, I say we, the, the Department of Intelligence and Security Studies has faculty who help teach courses that, that are needed for cyber students. And the same is true of criminal justice. Yeah. criminal justice department also teaches courses. Sure. Uh, we have expertise in our faculty there, which helps support cyber as a degree program. So that also takes
1: place. Is there overlap with the engineering department as well? I mean, I don't know that much. You know, I'm not a cyber or intel guy. I'm a simple-minded Marine. Yeah. Uh, that stuff is, you know, I don't know if, if folks listening to this podcast are saying, hmm, cyber and intel, what's the difference? Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe just a little brief on that. Yeah. I would, I, I, you know, cyber, I think, someone has hacked my computer.
0: Yeah, and then, and, and again, I, I, I hope Dr. Bannock is not right, right, right. listening. Right. And, uh, we'll you know, get him on here, you know, you know he, can, he, can,
1: he can tell us. He it, can tell, it, it, tell it, it you. Um,
0: the cyber um, field, of course, is largely kind of a hardware-software issue. It's about uh, system security and right. other things, right, and the notion of how secure are your infrastructure systems, the one that you depend upon daily to run your operation, whether that's a corporate entity or whether it's national defense. Sure. Those, those systems have to be secured and hardened against infiltration and penetration by foreign bodies, so cyber is the job of training professionals to both defend against that and to uh, to, to kind of game out offensive operations too so we can understand what threats are coming. Sure. And that's largely rooted in, in the cyberspace within the context of your programming networks. The intel side is the development of intelligence and security studies professionals uh, from uh, from a standpoint of kind of the development of an analysis of intelligence, the collection of intelligence, the use of intelligence. We talk about both the producers and the consumers of intelligence. Uh, and of course, there are all kinds of bodies across the American government and beyond, which are intelligence gathering entities. We want to produce uh, students who can go support those operations. As so well. we're
1: producing students that can do all of those things. Correct. Collect, produce. That's the idea. And analyze. know yep, oh, absolutely. Okay. And
0: the analysis in particular, and some of our analysis is Analysis of you know things like human intelligence and signal intelligence and photographic intelligence and some cases it's it's um, computer and software. Um, so there's there's opportunities to gather this information all over the the, uh, the space that they'll operate.
1: Right now we we often advertise here and so about a third of our cadets go into the armed forces. There's obviously you know you start talking about other government agencies and other ways to serve your uh, country. Um, that, that percentage is somewhat higher. Do you think is that, what is that consistent? Is that percentage consistent inside your school?
0: Yeah, it generally aligns that way. I'll tell you, we have um, a preponderance. It's interestingly enough, we have we did a little bit of study into this. We haven't looked too deeply in it because these numbers change seems like every semester. Sure. But uh, we have a, a disproportionate number of commissionees in history, hmm. and particularly Marines. Um, so if you look at our numbers, you'll, you'll say, oh, well, there seem to be more Marines in history than there are Marines in other spaces. And that's part of, I think, the lure of the past. I mean, I mean you can tell me, but every Marine I've met has always loved history one way or the other. Listen, I, uh, they, I follow uh,
1: General Mattis, the warrior monk, you know, that's his model, a warrior right. historian. I think it's wonderful. So, it's great so there's hear. a lot there. Sure. Uh, a
0: lot of Marine commissionees will be in history. We see that uh, in that discipline in particular. Uh, we also see it in Intel because it's so big. A lot of commissioners will end up in that space as well because it's just a very large major. They're sure. thinking about Army intelligence or Naval intelligence or something of that nature. Some of them will have designs on civilian work, CIA, DIA, things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of that. I think it, but it does break down, I think, pretty normally across
1: the school. And then what are the, the non-military, non-service, what have been some of the, just anecdotally, what have been some of the more exciting opportunities that our cadets have been able to take advantage of that aren't related to government service?
0: You know, again, in an area where we have uh, seven different degree programs across seven departments and a host of scholars in a lot of fields, I mean, there's options all over the place. I think in particular, we're we're interested in having our students find a path to law school, Mm. which is something that we do well. We we haven't often always done it in an organized fashion, but we've got tremendous assets here from a legal standpoint to help prep students for pre-law. So my argument is if you're a psychology major, if you're an English major, or if you're a history major, or whatever, you can find a path to law school. By the way, this is true for biology majors as well. Sure. It's for uh, cyber, for intel, for engineers. If they have space in their curriculum to do some pre-law curriculum work, we can get them into uh, pre-law activities as well. Um, that's one good option. Obviously, there are public history choices in the history field. Um, we've got people working in, in, in language fields of all kinds, although they will often take a language as a second major uh, in order to support their, their commissioning activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, language is always a great asset when you're, when you're doing any kind of government work. Um, criminal justice is another good option, right? Lots of opportunities to move into different fields of law enforcement. This is not just policing, which is an opportunity, but there's you know corrections, there's
1: noncustodial patrol. yeah. There's all kinds, there's of, all kinds of opportunities within That's that field good. as
0: well. So we have cadets and students who follow that path as well. Um, you know, we've got students going to grad school straight out as well from from English programs and history programs. Terrific writers and thinkers and artists of all kinds are coming out of. Our well, school.
1: that's my last uh, my last question. Well, Tiffany Silverman's in your department.
0: Correct, Dr. I mean, wow. Silverman is incredible,
1: uh, incredible force for absolutely. good at the Citadel absolutely. for the arts no for the visual arts, and uh, that's pretty exciting. Uh, so, so uh, let's, last question for you is. The graduate program here. So you guys have a lot of great graduate programs. Give give us a little rundown of what's happening in the graduate college and uh, some of the exciting uh, uh, things that are coming out of that. Yeah,
0: there's obviously there's about eight programs uh, in the in the School of Humanities and Social Sciences in the grad space, including those in psychology and history and English, uh, in particular, um, and Intel. Um, Our our military history degree uh, is an online option uh, in the MA uh, of the history department, it's uh, it's directed by Dr. David Preston uh, and uh, and his team of military historians in the department, it's very popular, it's an online version, we've got some uh, folks coming in and then going on to PhD work, we've got some folks doing that as a part of their, uh, maybe part of their, their service. So the military history degree is very popular dr newlander is working uh, carefully with her team to um, to build up an additional um, ma in history we currently have an ma in history as a partnership with the college of charleston we're sort of evolving in that space to create a new more applied version with some project-based learning for history for people to take perhaps wherever they're at so there will be kind of an online hybrid component we have Very strong programs in psychology, both in school psychology and in clinical counseling. Both of those are are very uh, strong uh, degree programs, both accredited, both run by uh, professionals and practitioners, and that's very exciting. Intel's master's degree continues to grow as well. That's very exciting. And we're looking at uh, other space as well to include perhaps doctoral
1: programs in the school. The oh United no, kidding! System. That would be—I mean—that would be a first for the Citadel. That right? would be
0: a first. Obviously, th- it comes with some considerable work and considerable planning, but it's something that uh, we have talked about in the school, and, and with any luck, we can continue to pursue that uh, as an option f- uh, for the future. Especially it's just in
1: our big programs. very exciting. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Jones, Dean of the School of Humanities and Social Science here at the Citadel. Uh, that really was a behind-the-scenes look at principal leadership at Citadel. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, that
0: wraps up another episode of the Leadership on Demand podcast presented by the Krauss Center for Leadership and Ethics at the Citadel. You can find us online and we welcome your feedback and suggestions on who you, our audience, would like to hear from in future episodes. Thank you for your time today. We hope you'll join us here again soon for another episode of Leadership on Demand.